Last week, we asked some of the hard questions when it comes to finding the right tech solution and some of the challenges supply chain professionals are facing, like what are the top three challenges we are seeing with data in supply chain and what should organizations focus on first to streamline process and become more efficient in their warehouse structure. Go and check that out. That was my interview with Jason from McGregor Partners in episode 120. You can find that wherever you subscribe to Let's Talk Supply Chain or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I want to tell you about Tive. They've come up with the easiest way for shippers and 3PLs to have fast, clear visibility data. Seriously, you have to check this out. Tive's intuitive interface and low-cost trackers provide comprehensive supply chain awareness, reduce freight claims, and improve customer experiences. These are single-use trackers. Let me say that again. Single-use trackers amazing. Check them out at tive.co, that's T-I-V-E dot C-O, and get 10% discount on your first order when you mention that you heard about this on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This is a huge week. Not only do I have a really big name on the show today, but we have Forge, our one-day virtual supply chain conference coming up on Thursday. You are not going to want to miss it. You are going to hear from a chief economist from EDC about what the next 18 months is going to look like um, in business and in supply chain and global trade. You're not going to want to miss that. Plus, I talked to the head of supply chain for Google. Uh, Greg White is here from Supply Chain Now. He's moderating a panel with Edible Arrangements and Papa John's about last mile and the gaps. Um, Eric Johnson, he is moderating a panel about tech. And plus, we are this conference is put together not only with supply, uh, Let's Talk Supply Chain, but with Procurement Foundation. And Mike Kadju and his team ha- are putting on an amazing, amazing show that day. So make sure that you go and register. You can find it under Forge Supply Chain Conference in Eventbrite. Go and register so that you will be part of that day on Thursday. Then on Friday, we also have the next Trade Squad Social. It is Superhero Day. Come and dress up as um, or wear a t-shirt or wear something that represents a superhero to you, either in supply chain, in your personal life, your professional life. Um, and we cannot wait to see you there. That one is in Crowdcast and you can search for Trade Squad and register for it there. So I have been waiting a while now to release this episode with Rob's schedule and our content schedule. We did this interview a few months back, but I couldn't release it until now. So when Rob first came to me about coming on the show, I was a little hesitant of how this would resonate with our supply chain community, but have since realized how big of a part it plays. Today's episode is a little different from all the rest as we are a stop on the book tour 
for the chief ethics officer of Airbnb. They approached me a few months back and I thought, what a great idea to have Rob on to talk about ethical supply chains. But first, before we do that, let's get to the question of the week. So the question was, how should hiring processes change? This is a really big one because everybody's talking about remote work, you know, hybrid solutions to going back to work. What is it going to look like? So let's take a look at what everybody had to say. Jammin, ooh, I love this topic, could go on for hours. As with so much in life, I believe we can understand that it's more about us as in org and less about them as in talent, meaning we have an opportunity to get better at truly defining our culture. Frank McCabe says, couldn't agree with you more. Audrey Ross, for a lot of companies, C19 has demonstrated that remote work may be a good avenue, even as an option to reduce their office space footprint and costs. Frank McCabe, as someone going through the process of finding a new role, I would say that companies should become less rigid on certain job requirements. Irina Roska, the mandate has to be more compelling than making things faster, better, cheaper. If that is the core expectation of supply chain, as it has been historically, the industry will continue to attract with a lack of diversity in skills, knowledge, gender, age, etc. Alviro, I would think that it could have a stronger online approach than prior to COVID-19. Tech will play a bigger role. John McClimate, shift the focus to how people think and how they deconstruct problems. The supply chains for tomorrow are changing and evolving. Jonathan M. Townsley, so many options here, it's difficult to know where to start. Rotational type developmental programs are a favorite of mine so that a newcomer can get lots of exposure and keep learning new things along the way. Kevin, supply chain by its very nature is incredibly diverse. Therefore, I always look for a specific type of individual's traits rather than simply bona fides in quotation marks. Are they flexible? Are they well-rounded, able to deal with pressure? Sarah Scudder, I'd like to see companies put a stop to hiring people based on having a certain number of years experience in specific industry. Yes. Catherine, I recently did some interviews about recruiting and employer branding in the supply chain industry. It is obvious that the market has changed to an employee's market, which means, yes, we have to change something today. Good point. Thank you, everyone. Um, there's some more discussion here on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. So go and check that out. Um, really appreciate everybody who participated in the conversation. And if you'd like to go and check out the conversation, again, it's on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. We also ask the question of the week every single Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So we look forward to hearing from you. Back to today's episode. I am happy to bring on Rob Chestnut. He is the chief ethics officer over at Airbnb, and he just released a new book about intentional integrity, how smart companies can lead an ethical revolution, which I thought, considering everything we have been through over the last couple of months, is a great topic to help us navigate ethical supply chains, which is even more important now than it was before. So let's hear a little bit more about Rob's journey to success before we dive into the convo. Rob Chestnut is the Chief Ethics Officer at Airbnb, a role he took on in late 
2019 after nearly four years as the company's general counsel. He previously led eBay's North America legal team, where he's founded the internet's first e-commerce person-to-person platform trust and safety team. He was the general counsel at Chegg Inc. for nearly six years, and he served 14 years with the U.S. Justice Department. So welcome to the show, Rob. Sarah, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. I know that some of my listeners might be wondering why I wanted to have you on the show and how it is tied into supply chain. So in saying that, with the unprecedented events of the last couple of months, I think it is really a time of innovative thinking. And hearing from individuals like yourself, you know, that come from other industries, and that can only help to bring fresh perspectives. And that is one of the reasons why I'm excited to have you on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about supply chain. We're going to talk a lot about integrity, transformational thinking, um, leader leading with integrity, leading through crisis. And so I am ready to get started. So let's talk a little bit about your role first um, as chief ethics officer. What exactly does a chief ethics officer do? And why is this role so important to companies in various industries? You know, it's a relatively new role. You you know, we've started to see it crop up in companies just in the last couple of years. Um, As a lot of data has shown that uh, ethics and integrity is actually a really important driving force in a business. You know, I think in the old days, people were thinking, um, well, you know, business isn't for nice guys, right? And it's, uh, that's just going to get in the way. And what we've learned is that ethics is something that is really important to customers. It's important to employees and ethical companies actually outperform the market and they outperform their peers. So uh, a chief ethics officer really is responsible for driving integrity into the culture of a company. And ultimately, uh, that has a positive impact on the business. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because, you know, supply chains have been able to bring more influence on an organization. And with that, we've also seen a rise in the consumer's buying decisions being based not only on some of the supply chain functions, but also the ethics and integrity of the business. And so I always say this on the show, collaboration is the future of business. And so I really, truly believe that the um, ethics, you know, um, the chief ethics officer really touches different parts of an organization, including supply chain. Oh, absolutely. Um, your, your supply chain actually reflects on you as a brand. You know, you can't really uh, separate yourself and say, well, you know, that's, that's some other company or that's some other part of the world. I'm not responsible. Um, what we found is that you are who you do business with. Right. And that's how customers see it. That's how employees see it. So you've got to take responsibility for it. Yeah, and supply chains bring uh, make a have a big role in that actually. So, what challenges have you seen organizations struggle with ethics and integrity? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different sizes of companies. We're talking about various different industries, but I'm sure you've seen some top challenges that organizations do struggle with. All right, there are some common ones. I, and I think the uh, what we did at Airbnb, I think, started with Uber. And the problems that uh, Uber had that were well publicized around sexual harassment, for example. You know, I think right. sexual harassment is one that pervades, it's an issue that pervades companies of all sizes. And it's something that I think you've got to address head on as a leader. Um, 
to avoid the potential of something like this just ripping your company apart. And I'll give you an example. At Airbnb, one of the things that we talked about as a leadership team, um, if you are a leader of a company, um, you should not be having a romantic relationship with an employee in the company or a vendor. Um, that sort of thing undermines trust. Everybody looks at you and thinks, oh, you're putting your relationship ahead of what's good for the company. And it's a conflict right. of interest. So what we did at Airbnb is I, you know, I walked into the executive team meeting one day and proposed that all of us agree no relationships with other employees or vendors in the company uh, mm. and make that part of our code of ethics. And there was silence in the room for a minute. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, people, uh, somebody said, well, Rob, we're all married or we're, we've got relationships anyway. That shouldn't matter. And I said, well, judging from what I'm reading, uh, being married doesn't really stop executives from doing this sort of thing. Right. Um, and then I said, is that something we're all willing to do? And we went around one by one and we all agreed to it. We looked mm -hmm. each other in the eye and said, understand this could uh, really help. This could tear the brand apart. This could undermine my career. So we're just going to agree we're not going to go there. So we mm -hmm. then put it in the code of ethics that the senior most leadership in the company um, is not going to engage in romantic relationships with employees and vendors. And by putting it out there and telling employees about it, um, First of all, I think that made it a lot, has made it much less likely that we're going to have a problem because right. we've all pledged it with each other in the room. And yeah. number two is if there is a problem in that regard, it makes it really easy to deal with the consequence because no one can complain, right? Absolutely. Break, that's a rule you break, then uh, you're not going to be able to work at the company anymore. It's not going to get swept under the rug like it has been at so many other places. But yeah, that's a great I example of intentional integrity. You know, you, you, uh, you make a decision, you set it out clearly, and then uh, live by it. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great example. I know that in supply chain, we do run across some challenges like bribery, um, potentially human trafficking in the supply chain as well. I just did a, a really interesting episode on that back in December of how human trafficking is like supply chain. And obviously, that's a really, really big challenge in supply chain. And when you're, you're looking at different vendors and different things like that, when, if I go back to bribery, is that something that you guys have talked about at the leadership level in Airbnb? Sure. You've got to worry about that sort of thing. Um, and no matter what business you're in, um, right. we talk about it um, in terms of uh, what sort of, uh, well, we talk about one with vendors, you know, what sort of gifts can you accept from a vendor? Uh, you know, bribery right. can take a number of forms and one is um, inappropriate gifts. Um, right. So, you know, and it's interesting, there, there's no one ethical rule that's clear. What um, what can you accept from a third-party vendor? You know, what uh, can you accept uh, a cup of coffee? What mm -hmm. about lunch or dinner? What about right. uh, using the ski condo of the vendor for a weekend? Um, and every company can have a different approach. Well, let's take Walmart, for example. Uh, I've got a number of friends that work at Walmart, and they have a rule that says um, Walmart employees may not accept anything from third-party vendors. And I by anything, that. yeah, and by anything, I mean, I've been in a meeting with Walmart employees where if you offer them a bottle of water, they will pull a dollar out of their pocket. Wow. Now, why? And I think it goes back to the purpose of a company. So the Walmart's core is about low prices every day for customers. That's what they live for. And they believe that if their employees are accepting gifts from vendors, those gifts 
actually are refl- reflect uh, the, the cost of those gifts is ultimately reflected in cost of goods. And that ri- that br- uh, brings up the price for their customers. That's wrong. So that's why they have such a strict rule. Now, take Airbnb. Airbnb is in the hospitality business. So if you're in the mm-hmm. hospitality business, um, you're more about the importance of human connection, spending time together. So we believe that um, some gifts are appropriate. Um, we simply put a dollar value on it, up to $200, um, so that you you were never in a position where by accepting a gift, it looks like you would be influenced. And we believe that at a, a gift of under $200, no one would be influenced or appear to be influenced. And that's what the, the standard is for us. Interesting. And it's it's funny to see how um, different companies take different approaches and how they think about what that actually means to them. I mean, you could accept a cup of coffee and not really think anything of it, but because it is so ingrained in those Walmart employees, they will take that dollar out of their pocket right. and you know um, pay for that cup of coffee, which is amazing. Right. It means they're in tune with the purpose of the company and they understand yeah. it. And, and I'd like to think, look at Airbnb, we're the same way. I had somebody come to me recently. Uh, they had a vendor give them a $1,000 uh, gift for wow. their wedding shower, right? And I love the fact that they, they, they got right on the phone with, mm-hmm. and, and, and said, I don't think this is right, is it? And he said, absolutely not. That's inappropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it can lead to some interesting questions. You know, I had a recruiter come to me uh, recently and say um, that they were recruiting a senior executive to the company. And it was successful. The senior, accept, uh, the senior executive accepted the role. Um, and the, ex- the senior executive sent a lovely thank you note to the recruiter and included a $200 Amazon gift card as a thank wow. you. Um, and the recruiter came to and said, is it appropriate for me to accept that? And that's one of those things that it's you know hard for you to anticipate in the rules, you know, a gift like that from one person to another. Um, but I love the fact that our employees are thinking about yes. that and are sensitive to the appearances. Um, and in that particular case, um, the, the recruiter came up with their own solution. The recruiter said, what if I take the card and buy um, some food on Amazon and then put it out for the entire recruiting team? Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, I love that. And I love, like you said, that they're actually thinking about it, that something is happening and they are picking up the phone, like you said, and being like, hey, is this okay? Is this not okay? What should I do with this? How do you think as a leadership team that you've been able to instill that in your employees? I mean, from a supply chain and logistics perspective, you know, bribery is you know, something that's inherent, um, obviously overseas, you know, sometimes in North America. Um, I know companies in this industry do struggle with that. So how do you even, you know, get that ingrained in your employees? Um, Number one, it starts at the top, starts with the CEO. Um, if, If your CEO doesn't buy into operating a business with integrity, then you're doomed. Then you, right. you, you, it doesn't matter how hard you work as a chief ethics officer or um, how much you want to do the right thing. People take their cues from the leadership of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so, number one, you, you've got to get leader buy-in. And so, I went to Brian, uh, you know, Brian Chesky, who's the founder CEO of Airbnb, talked to him about this early on, and he looked at me and said, go big. This is important. So, I knew right from the beginning mm-hmm. I had that kind of backing. Um, and a lot of times, it's... Um, 
not just the uh, the words of a code of ethics, um, but it's the way that you communicate it. So let's take supply chain. Um, one way you can communicate it is you can have a mid level uh, a mid level lawyer send out an email to everyone talking uh, talking about bribery is not pro is not allowed, right? But at the same time, your CEO sends out a message saying. Um, we have to get the cost of goods down. Um, the cost of goods uh, must go down 15%. Um, uh, this is a critical initiative, and I won't uh, accept failure. Um, that sends a, a not-so-subtle message. Do mm -hmm. what you got to do. I don't care how you hit the number, but hit it. Um, let's take another approach. Um, if a CEO is really committed to integrity, people need to hear directly from the leadership that this matters. Yeah. So contrast the earlier from a situation where the CEO shows up at the uh, at the meeting with the sales team and says, hey, everybody, uh, this is what we're trying to accomplish. But I want to say right up front that our brand and, and the way that we do business is very important to me. And we are going to operate with integrity. I don't ever want to get a report that uh, we are in, we are engaging in bribery, and I'm going to make it very clear that the following three rules everyone needs to uh, needs to follow them. And if anybody engages in this sort of behavior, um, be very clear with me: you will not work at this company. Right? right now, if you stand as a leader in front of people and say it that way, um, you communicate in a human, authentic, direct way. Um, you set a different tone and a different culture, and you're much less likely to have a problem. Absolutely. So now you wrote this book. Um, tell me a little bit about this book. Is that the reason why you 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 wrote this book is because you're seeing a lot of challenges within leadership teams in various different industries, um, sort of failing to communicate that um, or getting behind ethics and, and integrity in their own organizations. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. You know, I, I believe that the world needs companies to solve some of our biggest problems. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think folks have lost a lot of confidence in government um, as, a, as a means to solve big challenges like climate change, for example. Um, we need companies to step up. Companies have the resources. They've got the know-how. They've got the singular leadership that's not torn apart by nationalism or by, by politics. Um, now, in order for companies to step up, and take on some of these big challenges, um, they need the trust of employees, they need the trust of consumers, and they need the trust of communities where they operate. Now, right. in order to earn that kind of trust, companies have to demonstrate that they are willing to operate with integrity. And by that, I mean, they need to be, um, companies need to have multiple stakeholders. So in the old days, uh, companies had one stakeholder, and that was uh, the investor, the shareholder. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're a leader, what did you have to do? You had to drive revenue, drive the stock price. Um, today's companies, we need more from them. Um, and, and organizations like the Business Roundtable, top executives around the, the, the world are increasingly speaking out on the need for companies to have multiple stakeholders. Shareholders are still important, but employees are important. Uh, Absolutely. Customers are important. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your suppliers, your vendors are important. Your communities where you operate are important. And when you make decisions, you need to be thinking about what's the impact of those decisions going to be on all of my stakeholders. Um, I wrote the book because I believe that um, 
companies have a hidden super superpower inside of all of all of them, and that is integrity. And by operating with integrity over the long run, um, and the data reflects this, they will be more successful. They will be able to gain the trust and the support from these multiple stakeholders, and they'll be able to uh, exceed uh, performance of companies that are just worried about today's stock price and just getting this particular deal done. And I want to enable that. I want to play a part in that. And I'm hoping uh, the book can, can inspire more of that sort of behavior. I love it because that is the future success of any business as we, you know, come out through the unprecedented times that we've just been in and uh, we move forward into that new world of what we're going to be living in. So I'm sure you have a story of a company that has transformed from traditional thinking to leading an organization with intentional integrity. You know, for my listeners that are kind of listening to this going, like, this is really great, but how do I do it? You know, can we um, paint a picture for them and sort of tell that story of, of a company that really made that transition? Yeah, you know what? Airbnb is a great example because I've worked there. And I, I think that it wasn't that Airbnb was uh, was didn't have integrity. Um, but what I think you need to do is uh, you need to chart an intentional course. In this mm-hmm. regard, so the first thing you do is you get buy-in of leadership because without that, you're you're, you're nowhere. Right. Once you do that, you need to to start with a document, a code of ethics, um, and you know a lot of companies will get a code of ethics from their law firm. You know, the law firm <laughs> says, "Ever here's your code of ethics as you you know as you go public or as you do a round of financing. Put your logo up at the top, email it out to all your employees, get them oh, to no. check a box." Right? Right. Check a box saying they've read it. And then, you know, thank goodness we've, we've handled that. Um, or they put a compliance poster up on the wall in, you know, in the break room, right? With a little four point font that no one can read. Right. Um, maybe they'll make you watch a sexual harassment video that some third mm. party produced. The point is those things don't reach people um, in their heart. It, 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 they realize that that's just something that the lawyers do. So what you need to do is you need to create your own code of ethics. You need to sit down with a cross-functional team, you know, from sales, from engineering, customer support. You need to create something in your own language that reflects your culture and your purpose. Talk about things like um, sexual harassment. Talk about alcohol. What role is alcohol going to play in the workplace and what's appropriate? Um, talk about vendors and gifts and how you, uh, how you interact with vendors. Um, and then when you put it out, don't send it out just with an email and a checkbox. Have a conversation with employees about it. You know, at Airbnb, um, I spoke to every new hire orientation group personally as the general counsel of the company, because uh, I was the general counsel of Airbnb for uh, four years before I took on the ethics role. Um, we actually had an hour-long conversation with employees during orientation. Um, and I was mm. shocked by the impact that it had. You know, you know when, the, when I went to the orientation team and said, you know what, we need to talk about this right up front with all employees, and I want an hour. They looked at me and said, an hour on ethics? Come on, Rob, really? You know, we don't, we don't want to drive people away their first week. Um, but you know what? We do um, blind surveys um, of all the classes in orientation. And I said, give me a chance. Um, we're, gonna do, we're just going to do live examples of things that have actually happened at the company. Uh, we'll have a conversation with people, and I think it'll be okay. Turns out that the ethics class is the number one ranked class at orientation at Airbnb. Wow. Um, I think it has a rating of about 4.7 on a scale of one to five. 
I've had people come up. I had a woman come up to me a couple of months ago after the class. Um, she literally had tears in her eyes, Sarah. She wow. said, Rob, I worked at, and, and I'm going to leave out the name of the big tech company. She said, I, I left that company because my manager kept propositioning me, and I was too scared to report it. I didn't have confidence that they would do anything. She said, if I had heard this coming from a leader at my company, um, at my last company, I would have reported it and I'd still be there. You have no idea what it means to me to work for a company that truly believes this sort of thing is important, right? I, yeah. And, and, you, and you send that message right up front in orientation. You reinforce it um, with, with occasional ethics talks. We do videos at Airbnb, um, but we just don't do the long three, you know, third-party sexual harassment video. We do a three-minute video every month that we create inside the company, and it's funny. Um, we actually have employees act in it. You know, we, we act out um, a vendor trying to give, uh, give you an expensive bottle of wine or um, a holiday party where people are getting a little bit too drunk. Um, and the, the videos, we send them out, but we don't require you to watch them. We just send them out. And then we, you know, we, we uh, just look at the data. Um, we've, had, we've had these voluntary three-minute ethics videos routinely get a third to half of the company voluntarily watching them. And employees writing in saying, how can I appear in these videos and give us suggestions? So it actually gets engagement with employees on the subject. Um, and I think that's the way you build this kind of a culture, um, engaging employees um, in a human direct way. Um, yeah. you, you can't outsource this sort of thing. Yeah, you're setting a tone. Um, and like you said, you're getting engagement because these are kind of taboo topics. Yeah. They don't get talked a lot about. They are really out there. People are living this. Some of, some of yeah. this is really their reality, right. you know, and it needs to be talked about, but because it's so uncomfortable, a lot of people don't want to talk about it and bring it to the forefront and, oh no, we deal with that. Okay. Or, oh no, we've checked this box. Yeah. And so I guess for, you know, companies that are listening or people in companies that are listening that might not have have the resources that you do at Airbnb. Can you give us a glimpse into what you talk about in that? Sure. In, in the talk that you give when yeah. people are onboarding? There's no budget. The budget for this, Sarah, is, is uh, almost zero. Um, for example, the videos that I told you about, uh, we record them on an iPhone. Um, okay. And we have an employee. We have one person who likes uh, playing with the on with the software. They volunteer to to do the edits. We Amazing. spend. There's no script really to speak of. We we have a okay. general idea when we go in, and we have a one hour time limit. Um, the talks that I do are um, nothing but a, a series of a dozen examples of things that have actually happened at Airbnb. We throw out the example and we say, does this violate the code of ethics or not? So um, I'll give you an example of one of the, of one of the things that we might use. Um, uh, you, you are throwing a party um, uh, for other employees. It is uh, going to be in, um, in your home. Um, and you are thinking about, uh, you know, serving alcohol. Are there any limits on the amount of alcohol that, em that employees should consume in these circumstances under our rules? Are there, do our rules place any limits on it? And it creates actually an interesting discussion. People say, well, wait a minute, Rob, that's, that's at an employee's private home. 
It's uh, not during office hours. It's not right. a, a formal thing. Um, should Airbnb uh, play any role in deciding uh, whether alcohol is served and how much alcohol should be served? And we talk about that. We talk about, you know, I share with them. Um, it, it's funny. People uh, uh, call it Rob's rule uh, because this is not in our code of ethics, but I share my rule. And what I've said is that throughout my career, I've had a rule. How much alcohol should I consume in any work setting? And by the way, uh, for us, you're always at work when you're with someone from work. That's right. the phrase that we use. Mm -hmm. So in a work setting, I have a two-drink limit. Um, hmm. No matter what the setting is, doesn't matter how tired I am or how much food I've had or how much sleep I've had, um, I will allow myself to have no more than two drinks. And I'll do two drinks because it's fun to have a glass of wine or try a, a local beer when I'm traveling. And I know that no matter what happens, I can have two drinks. And I'm not going to do anything stupid that's going to screw up my career. Now, you start to get to drink three. And in any sort of combination of, of those circumstances, uh, I'm not so sure. And I'm not willing to risk my career on it. Um, and my point in this, and when I talk to employees about this, is not that they should adopt Rob's rule. I, I know employees that have a no-drink rule at all in any setting or right. a one-drink rule. Um, I know somebody that has a rule that they only drink with strangers, which is great. You know, <laughs> that has certain advantages or disadvantages. But my point is we all need a rule. At the worst time to be making a decision about how much alcohol you should be drinking in a work setting is while you're drinking in a work setting. Right. Um, set up a rule for yourself. Know yourself. And then abide by it. And you're not likely um, – not as likely to have uh, an alcohol-related issue. So often, the ethics-related uh, problems that we see in a workplace start with too much alcohol. Um, so ha just having a, uh, uh, you know, our rule at Airbnb is know, you know, know your limits and uh, only drink in moderation. So you right. got to make your own decision, but you should not be drinking uh, excessively and uh, alcohol should not be the focus of any work event. Well, and it's intentional integrity, not only from the organization standpoint, not only from the leadership standpoint, but it's also for people personally, is having that intentional integrity. And what what are my rules? What does that look like for me um, so that I'm not crossing a line and taking responsibility for the role that I play, not only at work, but around people that I work with and in different environments. And you bring up a really good point about the videos, um, because like you you said they don't take a lot of resources. I guess in my head, I was thinking that they did, but I'm glad oh, wow. that you you brought that up and pointed out that it was with an iPhone. But the other important point from that that I got was that you are working with your um, teams and your employees from a holistic standpoint. So you're working with somebody within the organization that likes to play and put together these videos for you. And it's not necessarily part of their role at Airbnb, but it's something hol holistically that they have in their repertoire of personal and business that they're able to contribute to the company. And that's a really important point. I know we're not talking about talent, but it's a yeah. really important thing to take note of. I'm going to give you another example of that. Um, I really believe that ethics is something that one person can't own. I'm the chief ethics officer, but I'm not like Moses coming down from the mountain with stone tablets <laughs> telling everybody what the right answers are. You know what? Everybody, ethics can be gray at times. And uh, I have a background. I have a particular, you know, I was, I was raised a particular way and in a particular part of the United States, and I'm a lawyer. 
um, a number of people, uh, we're a global company. Uh, people come from different religions, different nationalities, different backgrounds. They may not see the world quite the same way that I do. So right. one thing that we've done is we've created a program at Airbnb called Ethics Advisors. These are people that they have day jobs, right? They've, they're engineers, they're in customer support, they're in the business. But these are people that believe that ethics are important and they volunteer their time to be ethics advisors. And Amazing. we've got about 30 of them around the company. So what does that mean? So we bring them to headquarters uh, once a year to do um, a day and a half of training on the code of ethics. And then we send them back out to their team and their office and their department. And they are a resource for people on their team. And if people on their team have ethics questions, you know, a lot of times people are afraid to go see legal, right? I, I'm scared of yes. the general counsel or I, I don't want to go talk to HR about that. But yeah. they'll talk to somebody that's in their office that they know and that they work with. And, and these ethics advisors uh, provide input to me on ethics issues as they come up. So I get different perspectives from, from people who were raised differently and who have different um, backgrounds than I do. So that it really, um, the, our, our program reflects um, our entire culture, not just one person. And it also is a culture where people are volunteering their time to, to help and own it. Um, yeah. Last quarter, for example, we had nearly 100 inquiries to ethics advisors around the world, Wow! Um, which means that people are even more likely to go to an ethics advisor than they are to use one of those hotlines. Um, right. I think humanizing ethics, driving it throughout your culture and throughout your organization can have a powerful impact. Yeah, I would agree with that. And feedback is super, super important. So before we get to talking about the future and, and what you're working on next, let's talk about um, really quickly leading through crisis. Um, because obviously we're in, like I said, unprecedented times. You know, there's a lot of unknowns, um, you know, even depending on where we are in this whole COVID-19. So what do leaders need to be thinking about and um, how important is communication? Well, first of all, I think integrity um, is never more important than in a crisis. You know, everything's magnified in a crisis. Um, right. Uh, communication's extremely important, and I, I tell leaders that you've got to at least double your ordinary communication cadence. People are um, often working remotely. Uh, they're feeling more isolated. Um you need to reach out. You know, at Airbnb, a different leader will reach out every day with at least an email to people throughout the company and let them know what's going on. Um, yeah. Our CEO does a remote uh, Q&A from his apartment um, to the entire company uh, every week. Right. Um, and, you know, you want to be open in your communication. Um, you don't want to be unrealistically sunny about how things are going. If, right. if they aren't going great, um, you need to be open and upfront because people, yeah. people there, there's fear in this sort of environment. And I think people appreciate um, seeing, hearing, getting information, and they also appreciate honesty. Um, another thing that uh, that's important at this time is don't think just of yourself, think of others. People remember acts of kindness that were done in times of crisis. Um, for companies, think about your shareholder, your, not just your shareholders. Uh, obviously, you've got to be careful about expenses, but also think about your other stakeholders. Um, you are going to need your supply chain 
when the crisis is over. How yeah. you treat people, your vendors, and your supply chain in a time of crisis will be remembered. And it's an opportunity, if you can help, um, do so. Treat them with integrity now, and you may find that will reap uh, significant rewards down the line. Um, think about your community. You know, there's one, um, somebody came to me with a great idea uh, two weeks ago. Um, they said, Rob, you know, all throughout uh, Silicon Valley, all these companies have great snacks in the office, right? Um, and these snacks are now sitting in these darkened offices going right. stale. And there are homeless shelters in the in communities, families that that really need this food. It's a shame. You know, whenever we go back to these offices, a lot of this food will just get thrown out. Mm -hmm. um, so what I I threw a post up on LinkedIn saying, "Hey, um, Airbnb is donating their snacks to a, a network of family shelters to help families that could really use." There are some kids right now um, where a granola bar. Uh, is going to make uh, yeah. make a big difference. Huge. Um, yeah. I've thrown that post up, and it the the response I've gotten has been overwhelming. Companies I've had two this uh, just this morning before we got on the air that came saying, "Rob, how can you connect me to this shelter? Uh, I want to donate our snacks." So companies that step up and help others, even if it's a way like this that really won't cost a company hardly anything, um, that kind of gesture. Um, will 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 uh, resonate and be remembered for quite a while. So um, use this opportunity to help others if you are in an opportunity to do so. If you're not as a leader, um, leaders need to sacrifice first. You know, Simon Sinek has a great saying: "Leaders eat last." Um, uh, I also think that in times of crisis, leaders need to sacrifice first. They need to be the first to step up and take uh, a significant pay cut. They they need to to give up some of their perks, because everybody has to see um, that, wow, our leaders are stepping up. I need to understand that maybe this is a time where I'm going to have to sacrifice a little now, too, uh, for the good of the company, because yeah. I want this company to survive through this crisis. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's going to take all of us to really come out successfully on the other end, that's for mm -hmm. sure. So what does the future look like for Rob? What's what's next for you? What are you working on? Well, um, the I have a book coming out called Intentional Integrity, um, and the book is a very practical book. And anybody that uh, is expecting Socrates and John Stuart Mill ethics will be very disappointed. This is a practical step-by-step -step guide on how you can drive integrity into the culture of your company. Um, it's it. got a lot of stories. Um, and it, uh, there's nothing, uh, nothing in the book that will cost you actually any money. It will simply, uh, it, it is about spending time um, and spending some of your, uh, your direct emotional capital into investing into uh, a culture of integrity. But it helps you do it. Um, I, uh, the, the program at Airbnb, it's amazing how the employees have embraced it. Um, and, and the response to it's been great. I think it's helped Airbnb. So, uh, my, my personal mission, I think, is to help other companies, um, make integrity an intentional part of their culture and thereby, I think, uh, help drive, uh, the company's success, make it a superpower and enable, uh, enable other companies to be successful this way. I love that. It is definitely a superpower and something that all of us need to be doubling down on right now. So leadership teams in business and supply chain are rapidly changing the way they look at how they operate and lead with integrity. And that 
those two are at the top of the list right now. I really enjoyed Rob's book, and I think he has done a very good job of painting a picture as to why leading with integrity is vital to your success moving forward and enticing collaboration that is so important to the future of business. For more information about Rob, his book, and this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 121 or his website at intentionalintegrity.com. Thank you so much to Jessica and the team at Fortier PR. And thank you, Rob, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode, please visit podcast at letstalksupplychain.com for more of our episodes and the amazing guests we bring from around the world with new and fresh perspectives on all things supply chain. If you're looking for a specific company or a specific topic, please go to the category filter and you will be be able to find the episode on the topic or the company you would like to hear from. Next week, Mercado is back on the show, and I am super excited about this. To bring this to you, I'm talking to Rob, the founder, and Lee, who's been with him since the beginning, and we're talking about the world the world changing, right? And by focusing on how we can be good and do good, we can ease into that change one step at a time. First Mile and the beginning of the supply chain is a great place to start. And that's what we are going to be talking about coming up on the show next week. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube, the SC supply chain tv and subscribe to let's talk supply chain wherever you subscribe to podcasts next my tech platform yes i know i've been talking about it for a while but there are so many exciting things happening right now i cannot wait we are so close it's ships.com that's s-h-i-p-z.com visit and sign up we are looking for mid-market shippers we are looking for freight forwarders to come on the platform Um, And if you're looking to invest in supply chain platforms, uh, we are also looking to talk to you as well. So make sure you go to the website. You can also reach out to me at sarah at ships.com. Next, if you're looking for something for the procurement professional in your life, the supply chain professional, we have all sorts of stuff over under shop at letstalksupplychain.com. Hoodies, you know, t-shirts, tank tops um, with inspirational sayings as well, mugs, all sorts of fun things. Plus, we've got the Supply Chain Dictionary. It's 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you will need to succeed in your supply chain career. So go and check that out under shop. Lastly, rate and review the show. If you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show and we will 
feature your review on an upcoming episode. Plus, I just want to hear from you. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.